In an environment of health disparities amplified by a national pandemic, racial injustice, Providence is committed to improving diversity, equity, and inclusion in our communities, workplaces, schools, and more. What happens now? How do we cope? What's the impact on our overall health and mental wellness? The Culture of Health will focus on what the future of healthcare looks like in today's changing culture. Together, we will discuss how we turn the conversation of culture and healthcare into lasting and meaningful action. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, everyone. My name is Keisha Ibazua. Welcome. I'll be hosting us today with Dr. Jackson and Dr. Cook from ABSI. Um, before we get, we get started, I just want to remind everyone that the information provided during this event is for educational purposes only. If you have any questions regarding medical conditions or treatment plans, please consult your physician. So let's begin. Hello, greetings, Dr. Jackson and Dr. Cook. How are you doing today? Wonderful. Wonderful. Thank you. You? Thank you so much for joining us. Can you tell us a little about yourselves, ABSI, and how it came to be? Oh, would love to. So let me begin first by saying hotep and greetings to the family who are listening in. I am the 46th current president for the Association of Black Psychologists, and I'm excited to be here. I'm a licensed clinical psychologist as well with an emphasis in working with children and families who are contending with complex trauma. And lastly, I am also the chair for the clinical psychology degree program at Saybrook University, as well as the council representative for APA Division 32, Society for Humanistic Psychology. But I'm here today in my capacity as the president for the Association of Black Psychologists, accompanied by my beloved brother, Dr. Benson Cook, who I'll allow to introduce himself. Uh, yes, uh, good afternoon. Uh, my name is Benson Cook. I'm currently the National Historian with the Association of Black Psychologists, but also a past president 2009-2011 uh, of the Association of Black Psychologists and other roles there uh, in between. I am currently a professor of counseling and psychology at the University of the District of Columbia in Washington, D.C. Um, and my clinical specialty area is major depressive disorders. Uh, at the same time, I've also been um, able to contribute to uh, providing culturally competent strategies for uh, first responders and disaster relief. And um, I am very proud to have been the author and co-author of about uh, five textbooks, uh, most of which focus on uh, major depressive disorders, but others that focus on understanding mentoring relationships and understanding some of the cultural issues that impact um, our ways of being. And then finally, uh, a book that looked at some educational strategies that uh, would develop empowerment for um, diverse populations. We are so blessed to have both of you and this amazing knowledge that you both are presenting uh, and representing today. Um, I'd love if you could tell us a little bit more about ABCI, especially you, Dr. Cook, our resident historian today. Okay. Um, well, the Association of Black Psychologists, not like uh, many other organizations, was made up of students, early career, mid-career seasoned professionals who found it difficult to get the support that was needed for 
in this case, the black community, and through the national affiliation of the major organizations. So for us, it was the American Psychological Association. So in 1968, uh, a group of students and early career wanted to come back again with a plan for how to increase enrollment for African-American students, how to increase engagement and support for those who were professionals and didn't get it. So during the board meeting in 1968, they literally snatched the mic and made their demands. Their demands still were not followed through with. And so as a consequence of that, they got together in another location during that convention and decided that it was time to define our reality and recognize that we're the ones we've been waiting for to create the change that needed to be created. And so the Association of Black Psychologists was born uh, during that particular time. Since that time, we have been able to sustain our engagement with um, ensuring that we could support the um, students who were coming up. It was critical to be able to support the early career folk that were coming up. Uh, it was important, and, and this was pretty much our mission statement, that um, our mission was to, for the most part, focus on the destiny and the liberation of the African mind, empowerment of the African character, and enlivenment and illumination of the African spirit. And so we've been very much committed to our communities during that time. We've had an opportunity since 1968 to contribute to uh, amicus or amicus briefs that have impacted uh, the way that we look at education in terms of IQ testing, eliminating that. Uh, the Larry P case was one of the famous cases. Uh, we've been able to focus on ensuring that we could, uh, as an association, begin to focus on ways of minimizing, in many instances, some of the disparities that impacted uh, mental health as much as also uh, physical health. Um, one of the advocates briefs focused on ensuring that we could eliminate the disparities with regards to um, Medicare and access to healthcare for the African-American community. And the list goes on. It's very extensive in terms of what we've done. And I wanna give space and time to share more about that. But it was clear uh, through the work that we've done that when you hear now people talk about multiculturalism, cultural diversity, it was the Association of Black Psychologists that created the space and place and the scaffolding around which that idea was germinated and since has grown. And so in many instances, we have provided a way of recognizing the diversity uh, in a very pluralistic society. And may I briefly add too, and the much appreciation is Dr. Cook, I wanna briefly add as well, that the Association of Black Psychologists along with similar organizations like the National Association of Black Social Workers, the Black Psychiatrists of America, and particularly uh, what we call the Black Family Summit, which is convened by um, Leonard Dunson, which is made up of 40 plus leadership from Black organizations. I conceptualize us in many ways, the unsung heroes, behind the door heroes who've been lifting up good mental health and wellness and righteousness for people of African ancestry that has not only led to 
a greater awareness around what's considered as multiculturalism or, or the way we discuss things around DEI initiatives or diversity. But more specifically, there is a clear science now. There's a science of black psychology where its intention has been to resurrect, reclaim and reposition knowledge from our cultural heritage for our people to disseminate to see what makes sense for them. And some of the values that comes out of this is this idea of collectiveness, that we we heal in collection to one another. We do, we do not negate or minimize the idea of an individual, but the individual is as healthy as the community and the community is as healthy as the individual. Lastly, I would say too, for the Association of Black Psychologists, you do not have to be a black psychologist to be part of it. However, you do need to be centered in the idea of black health and wellness from our cultural perspective. And that's very important as well, too, as we are made up of our beautiful community leaders, because a lot of the health and wellness comes from those who do not have a degree, if you will, because of who we are. I just want to make sure we added that piece in there as well. There's a number of current initiatives that we've been doing uh, I'll just take two seconds to highlight as part of our collective. In partnership with the Community Healing Network, we launched in 2012 the Emotional Emancipation Circles, which are now happening all over the world, which is a way in which we turn this curriculum over to communities to help them do their own healing. And it's predicated upon it being led by community members and not a professional because it is not, quote, therapy. But Dr. Cook will always remind us Based, based from others that much of our healing is not therapeutic. It's not therapy, but it's therapeutic. Another initiative too is if people may remember the whole issues around rites of passage, that too was born from the um, black psychology literature and scholarship as this attempt again of trying to identify and be clear about who we are as people of African ancestry because it serves as a protective factor in the face of structural racism and oppression. There's clear science that supports that. Another initiative that we move forward to in response to the COVID and the current acute racial pandemic was the launching of the Sawabono Healing Circles, which were um, designed to be a rapid response to acute trauma within the Black communities and is all virtual. And so we launched them internationally in response to the murder of the Haitian president in response to the insurrection, in response to the, the, the trial for the murder of uh, our dear brother, George Floyd. So these two are the ways in which ABCI is also service oriented to its people, which is again, distinctly different from any other psychological association. If I may, can I, can I add to that? And I wanna add a context that for some people listening, the question might be, you know, there they go again. You know, <laughs> what are they complaining about? And and so I want to I want to give a, a context to this. Um, after Hurricane Katrina, uh, myself and two other colleagues wrote uh, the first ever document that was used by the American Red Cross and APA as part of their disaster relief task force efforts to bring in culturally competent practitioners to deal with the issues that were going on. Uh, in the Gulf area, but more specifically in New Orleans. And I remember when I was coming off the rostrum, I was approached by a white psychologist who said, you know, I understand that, okay, you belong to this group of black psychologists. So if there's an association of black psychologists, where's the association of white psychologists? And I said, my brother, this is it. I said, but understand, I'm not mad at you. 
has a American psychological he has something <laughs> that basically looks at the issues. But he still was, you know, had a bone to pick. And he said, well, I don't understand why you couldn't do it here. I said, well, let me ask you a question. I said, if we probably need to see if we can come in agreement. If we had a, if we had a child come in to see us and, and that child were physically abused, emotionally abused, sexually abused, just ruined pretty much, and they got no treatment, what would happen? Oh, that would be awful. You know, it would result in all of these uh, mental, mental illness issues and physical, you know, just, you know, issues and all of that. So I said, okay, let's say nobody did anything for them and they ended up getting married and having children. Oh, you're talking about dysfunctional families and that kind of thing. I said, okay, so let's, let me contextualize it this way. If you think about it, from 1619 to the 13th Amendment, that's probably about, what, 246 years, right? Where it was against the law. I mean, we had no rights at all. We were three-fifths of a person, okay? I said, then you got Civil War, Reconstruction, Jim Crow. That takes us probably through the Civil Rights. That's another 100-plus years. And then you're bringing it through all of the things that we have right now. I said, so in many instances, how would you deal with someone who had no right to access to health care? And this was the concern and the complaint that was raised in 68. A lot of people didn't know Dr. King went to APA, spoke mm-hmm. to APA, asked them to get engaged in the civil rights struggle. But there was resistance by many, believing that that was our issue. Okay, so the cultural conditioning that for the most part has created this kind of dehumanization in the minds of some and, and a, a lack of self-worth in the minds of others has been an issue that the Association of Black Psychologists has been working to rectify, helping people of color recognize, black folk in particular, that our ancestry, like human ancestry, goes back to the first birthplace of all humankind, which is the continent of Africa. So in many instances, we're all there, but definitely those of us who are more melanated definitely can claim a connection with that, okay? As such, that means that we're claiming a connection with the place that was the birthplace of humankind, the birthplace of the first spoken and written language, the birthplace of the first philosophy, mathematics, engineering, architecture, science, technology, medicine, religious practice, literature, art, music, and other cultural contributions that can be substantiated and proved. So you're bringing this to a people who have been told that they have no place. You know, if you come from France, you know, they say, I'm French, you know, you speak French, you know, Germany, Germans speak German, you know, Italy, but there was no Negro land, okay? (laughs) So, So it became important for us to, as an association, to raise the level of self-awareness, recognizing that awareness would be a key to our mental health, to begin to create change in how we saw ourselves. So part of what uh, Dr. Theopia Jackson said a few moments ago is a a, a quote from um, Dr. Thomas Parham, um, uh, distinguished psychologist and currently president of uh, Cal State Dominicus Hills. He said that healing is therapeutic, but not all therapy is healing. And for me, what that means is the recognition that the growth of the Association of Black Psychologists was to begin to fashion, first of all, a defense against forms of psychology that have worked against our humanity. And then to recreate and restructure 
a psychology that worked to ensure our mental health, to empower us to recognize that in spite of all of the issues that brought us down, we would be able to find a way to be resilient and rise again in a healthy way. And Keisha, if I may, I want to jump in and break that down one step further. And I trust that we are addressing the general questions and maybe even stimulating more for the listening audience. But most of America is comfortable with the concept of trauma, resilience, and recovery. We accept that people who have been exposed to a lot of trauma, it, it does something to the mind, body, and spirit. We have a science that clearly shows that if you're exposed to it, it can lead to um, unhealthy situations like diabetes and whatnot. We hold it all inside. We know it can lead to depression, things of that nature. So in, in our trauma conversation, we have shifted this question from what's wrong with someone to what happened to you on a national level. So if we understand that, I want to break it down to, to this piece to what Dr. Cook was saying. When you think of what a group of people went through, may it be any one of our BIPOC family members, or in this case today, we're talking about those who are direct descendants of the, of the enslavement period, Jim Crow, and further here in the United States being exposed to racial trauma. To my knowledge, when we were, quote, freed, there was no therapy. APA and no one else said, okay, how do we support the psychological, emotional recovery for this group of folk? Because clearly there's some residuals there, right? That wasn't there. So the roots of our current mental health lies in that problematic miss. As a trained psychologist, there are many ways and the tools that I've gained as a, in the Western thought has been helpful but it's also had a number of shortcomings. It has not gone deep enough to try to understand that when depression hits anyone, but when it hits a group of people of color, we must ask ourselves, what if anything might this have to do with the residuals of systemic racism, the ongoing exposure to um, cultural trauma and all those things. Many of our mental health providers are, are ill-equipped to even think about it, let alone respond to it. And as in the, in the truest, the same is true for people who are experiencing it. So this was with a bring a certain level of consciousness forward to say, now did I just get passed over at work because I have to do a better job or I'm missing something? Or did it have to do with the fact that I'm a person of color? Because once you are critically asking these questions and coming to a good answer, it informs you on how to move forward. But if you're not asking critical questions, then you're being asked to hold in your body all that does not belong to you. Our mental health service played a role in saying to that black client who would say, you know, I feel like I'm being shadowed or watched when I go into a store. They call that irrational thinking. They would say, well, you know, I'm concerned that I'm, that I'm being oppressed and that, that, that this person is being harder on me because I'm, because I'm Black. We, we call that being hypervigilant. As a matter of fact, we have a longstanding history of mental health doing unfortunate damage in communities, so much so that the um, American Psychiatric, Psychiatric Association just earlier this year um, published a public apology to BIPOC communities for the ways in which the psychiatric industry played a role in maintaining and sustaining structural racism and the adverse impact it had 
on many lives. The same is the same should be true in other places. Now, for the listener who's saying, "Well, you know, why is that just about black?" This and the fourth. I, I, I ask you to ask yourself this: as a nation, we have embraced the humanity of all, and yet we appreciate that there is a difference for men and women. We accept that. We recognize that. Why is it so complicated to expand that same grace to understanding that we can have a shared humanity, but at the same time, I have another level to me when I think about the cultural wisdoms, the ways of being as a black person, let alone the intersectionality of being a woman, a black person and a full body woman in this America where each of those components can leave me exposed to somebody's level of oppression. So black psychology, the association of black psychologists and its members are dedicated to bringing awareness to that so that our people can make informed decisions and be proactive and not reactive, to recognize what they're up against and be clear about how to respond in a way that promotes their humanity. So again, black psychology, ABCI, is not to the exclusion of someone else. It is to the inclusion of who we fully are, centering ourselves on what it means to be people of African ancestry and looking at the diversity among us. Because we have to have family talk conversation among us to get rid of some of our own inherent um, internalized racism that's come our way. I, I think an added piece, I know you didn't get a chance to ask another question, <laughs> but I think a bridge to this is, okay, now how do we then, how does what we've shared inform our um, clinical decision-making? Well, we recognize that um, we didn't get here because we chose to be here. <laughs> But how do we make the best of it? Well, if you're talking about some of the longstanding disparities that exist with regards to systemic and institutional racism, you're looking at several factors. And, and this became really clear as a result of the COVID-19 pandemic. Many of the essential workers were who? They were basically low wealth population. Who is the predominantly low wealth population? Now, we're not a monolithic community. We got black folks that got money. We got black folks that got a little bit. We got black folks that got none. But what institutional racism has done, it has limited the access and the opportunities for the vast majority. There's an expression in the community that says, when white America has a cold, black America has the money. I say, that's, the they fact. call it health disparities now. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, we know that many of the pre existing health conditions. Uh, especially psychiatric conditions, um, are based upon, and there's many studies, both in, the, uh, in medicine as well as psychology, that look at the biased clinical decision-making that basically only uh, gives energy to the cultural mistrust that often exists. But one has to really look at and understand that you can't just paint a broad uh, breaststroke and say that all Black folks think that way, because many are more informed by having culturally competent providers who give them the information to let them know how to discern what they're being told about what happened in history versus what really happened, like the Tuskegee studies. We have many who are medically uninsured and we know <laughs> whether you've got money or don't, when you look at that bill, you say, praise the Lord or whatever, <laughs> when you see what you would have paid if you mm -hmm. have insurance versus if you don't have it and you have to pay it. All you have to do is visit an emergency room and see the okay. countless low wealth populations 
that basically cannot afford a primary care physician. And so everything goes through the emergency room. Then you have to look at those who basically are providing care for others, okay? Uh, the um, unpaid caregivers for adults. This again is one of the longstanding disparities forced by institutional systemic racism. AB size psychologists recognize we have to work with people. During the pandemic, there were a lot of people saying, oh, we'll do you know telehealth. Well, if you don't have a computer, if you don't have internet access, if you have a computer, then you're not gonna be doing a whole lot of telehealth. You may not even have a telephone. So in many instances, there needed to be an awareness of going to the place and space. May it have been in a church, may it have been in the community center, may it have been in the home of a relative to provide the care that was needed. And then you have, you know, the thing, and aside from a roof over your head, clothes on your back, you need food in your belly. And our communities are dealing with food insecurity. My specialty in major depressive disorders since 2011 has been looking at the impact of, of, of transgenerational health strategies, which has brought me to learn more about epigenomics, gene expression, meaning that health factors and social factors at critical developmental periods can change what happens with what you might or might not ex be exposed to as a part of your DNA, meaning that if you have good nutrition, many of the illnesses that you might get, you might not get if you have good nutrition versus if right. you have poor nutrition, then it kind of cuts the switch on to you being more exposed to those things that might be generationally passed on in one's family. Mm -hmm. Okay. And we all know for those who want to poo who, you know, poo poo that is, <laughs> you know, when you go to a reunion, say, oh, you look like so-and-so, you, you tall like them, your eyes like them, your hair is like them. We know things are passed on through heredity. You know, phenotypes, genotypes, we know that. We also know illnesses are passed on. Yes. And so when you look at the people who have basically not been given the, the basic support and care, mm -hmm. then why should we be surprised that they're suffering the most? But the disparity list goes on. In, incarceration for non-criminal offenses. Okay? They're trying to check that now because you got folk who have money who are put in, so we, well, we it's all on the news now. We got to help the people that we didn't help before, you know, to bring, you know, equity in, in, you know, in terms of that. And you're looking at some of the things that kind of got us here. Like right now, we have a lot of people being evicted, being evicted, put out on the street. Okay. Well, and some people say, well, you know, well, they should have, you know, lift themselves up by their bootstraps and got a job. <laughs> Not looking at the reality that they were enforceable, restrictive covenants in real estate transactions that limited access to that kind of resource. Mm -hmm. And then you have a whole host of others. In that. I mean, I'm looking at the time. I'm <laughs> we do not have enough time. Kind of we're supposed to But looking at fair funding in public school education, looking at student loan debt, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. There are a host of issues that as Black psychologists through the Association of Black Psychologists during our conventions, we have researchers who delve deep into the data and come up with information that informs how we engage in not only our critical thinking, but that critical thinking that moves into our clinical decision-making to ensure that we are providing the best for those who often get the least. 
Ashe, Ashe, I know we are coming to the end, so I was trying to give this back to you, Keisha, to get ready to close us, but clearly we needed more time. <laughs> I appreciate it, and I, this is exactly where the conversation needed to go, so thank you, thank you for speaking what came to your hearts. Um, you know, I just want to acknowledge that that's something our community is dealing with right now is the, the access to um, mental well-being and uh, therapy, traditional, you can say traditional or Western therapy and um, a, really appreciating that ABSI is there to provide these other resources. And I would love if you would, you, you talked about it briefly at the beginning, but other, if you could just briefly talk more about other healing modalities that you would suggest for people who don't have that access. Um, so as we, as we come to a close, I'd want to leave the family, the, the listeners thinking about a couple of things. First and foremost, ask yourself, why are black folks still walking the earth in America, given what we went through? That is evidence already of our perseverance for life and our resiliency. So when you are feeling alone, even in the midst of others, I ask you to sit still and be calm within your own spirit and try to listen to and reconnect with, with those who have loved you into this moment, even though you've gone through lots of pain. I too am what we would call an at-risk child today, and yet I stand here saying, we, were, we are not at risk. Our children are at potential at-risk environments. We must be our own healing for one another. We must first see ourselves, love ourselves, say, I am, I am who I am, and I belong to a group of people who love me as a collective, even when my individual folk couldn't love me for whatever went on in their lives. Secondly, that we are having critical conversations with one another. That when we say, how are you doing? To deeply say, no, Sister Keisha, really, how are you doing? Let me deeply listen and bear witness to what you are experiencing. I don't have to solve it. I don't have to define it. I just let you know I'm here. I hear you and you're right on point. That is what our youth need from us older folks. And that's what we need from them to have multi-generational kitchen table conversations family reunion hookup, salon, beauty store, barbershop, I don't care. Deeply listen and validate one another. Then as you breathe through that moment, say, how do I, how do we move forward now as an individual, as a collective? Visit our website, look up the emotional emancipation circles that we've partnered with the Community Healing Network for. Learn more about our bone um, healing circles. Also feel free to go to the Psychology Today where one of our dear members, Dr. Kevin Coakley is hosting a Black Psychology Matters. That's another lovely way to get deeper information behind Black psychology and decide for yourselves its utility. And of course, visit the, um, the piece that we're part of right, right now, which is called Wellness for All, where we're trying to lift up the unique voices and wisdom from the ethnic psychological associations of which ABCI was the first and is very proud to be supporting our other ethnic psychological associates as they too say, who are we as a cultural being and the role our culture plays in our own mental wellness? That's just a few. There's a lot more to tap into. <laughs> Ashe. <laughs> Ashe. 
I receive it. That was so healing. This has been healing and a wonderful conversation. I thank you both so much. Dr. Cook, do you have anything else you would like to well, just say? Add, add one other piece. You said it all, really. <laughs> I think it's important for those who might be wondering, well, where do I go? Well, we do have a listserv on our site that people can find information. But it's, what, we're, what we're saying is you have a right to inquire if someone values who you are, you know? Um, it's really interesting, um, uh, the, the movie Avatar took this African saying, I see you, you know, that, that came from us. <laughs> but the reality is for us to be able to find someone who sees you for who you are, you know, as um, it was once told, taught to me, you know, really spiritual beings on a human journey, not human beings on a spiritual journey. And so as such, it becomes important to have someone who sees you for who you are and has value in, in, in your presence. So finding oh, someone, if you, if you can't find someone on our network to be able to, if you have insurance, to be able to look for that. But if you don't, uh, she provided you with some resources of some of the sites that we, we have on our website that you can go to and learn more about the work that we do, learn more about the brilliant scholars and researchers and thinkers that are a part of uh, the Association of Black Psychologists and the work that we do. Thank you. Thank you both. So much love and appreciation for you both today. Um, and I thank you both for joining us and to everyone listening and sending in your questions. We'll definitely follow up and make sure those get answered as well. Um, if you want to learn more about the Association of Black Psychologists, please visit www.abpsi.org. And you can follow them on Facebook and Instagram at the ABPSI. Also, if you're looking for help with your mental health or other medical advice, please visit providence.org and make sure to follow Providence on social media at Providence on Twitter and under Providence Health System on Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn. Thank you both. Thank Appreciate you. Appreciate you so much. Thank you. Thank you very much. Zola up on we. <laughs>